The Secrets of Doctor Who is brought to you by the Star Quest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, episode 242. One day, I shall come back. That's it. I've been renewed. As when a Time Lord's body wears out, he regenerates. I'm a time lord. I'm not a human being. I walk in eternity. Bravehearty. Change, my dear. And it seems on a moment too soon. Unlimited vice pudding. Position looks wearing a bit thin. Fantastic. Hello, I am Scottish. I can complain about things. She'll be fine. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who, where we discuss everything about the hit BBC series, Doctor Who. And today we're discussing the 11th Doctor story, The Power of Three. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Howdy, Dom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very good. A little bit of business up front. I got a question from a listener this week. How do I access the first 100 episodes of The Secrets of Doctor Who? There are technical limitations on uh, how many episodes can be in the feed at any one time. In order to get to access to those in your podcast app, go to sqpn.com slash Doctor Who. In the top of the page there, you'll see this little explanation about a special link. And there's even a little video that shows you how to add that link to Apple Podcasts. Other apps will be similar. So if you're looking for the first 100 episodes of The Secrets of Doctor Who, that's where you can get them in your podcast app of choice. Uh, I want to remind you to remember to like The Secrets of Doctor Who on Facebook, where we're at facebook.com slash secrets of Doctor Who. And we're also on Twitter, where we're at SQPN. And as a final bit of a little uh, pre-show business or pre-discussion business, I want to recommend another show that's on the SQPN network that you will like called Let's Science. It features Caroline, Lindsay, and Lino, our friends from Australia, talking about fun, cool science topics, tardigrades in space, why do cats like to sit in boxes? Uh, all the tons of extraterrestrial dust that land on Earth. These are all future uh, ep- episodes of <laughs> Doctor Who, apparently, because yeah. they all sound like Doctor Who topics, except for tardigrades. That's definitely a Star Trek topic. Anyway, let's science wherever you get your podcast from or at sqpn.com slash science. But today we're here to talk about this episode of Doctor Who, The Power of Three. Jimmy, could you give us a a recap of this episode? Yeah, so this is an 11th Doctor story, and billions of small black cubes appear all over the Earth and do nothing, so people take them into their homes. Almost a year later, the cubes suddenly activate, each displaying a bizarre random sort of behavior, affecting people in different ways, and then they all shut off. The bizarre behaviors turn out to be a collection of tests, and now that the cubes know what they wanted to find out, they start counting down. The Doctor, Amy, and Rory trace the cube's origin, which turns out to be a set of dimensionally cloaked spaceships in orbit. The spaceships are owned by creatures of Time Lord legend known as the Chakri, and they view the human race as an infestation that needs to be wiped out before they can spread and colonize space. So, the cubes kill a third of the human race by stopping their hearts, and they plan to kill the rest. However, the Doctor reprograms the cubes to restart everybody's heart, and he blows up the spaceships. The end. (laughs) Now, one of the things that 
I do when I prepare these summaries is I notice how many sentences it takes me to describe the plot. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And a typical episode of Doctor Who or Star Trek is like, you know, 10 to 12 sentences typically. This one is seven. Mm. And it represents the simplicity of this plot. It is pretty bare bones. And I think that shows in this episode, which was written by Chris Chibnall, in that they do various things to eat up time. Like they have a montage of the Doctor being bored and they have a montage of the Doctor, Amy and Rory flitting off to other time periods because the current plot isn't interesting enough to fill the runtime. But those are some additional comments. to be to be fair, to give Chris Chibnall some a little bit of fairness in this, that's kind of the point of the episode too. Though yeah. is is to show Amy and Rory's life normal, you know, however normal it can be when you can all of a sudden, you know, every couple of months, this blue box appears and you run into it and go take off through time and space, you know, and it, it is to show, um, I guess, yeah, that they're actually trying to separate from the Doctor, which spoiler they're going to have a major separation from the doctor very shortly <laughs> yeah but that being said it doesn't make for a very exciting fun episode right it's a con- i feel like this is a concept episode it's not about the plot the plot is just a device to 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 feel out the concept which is what if instead of seeing life from the perspective of uh, humans amazed by traveling with a doctor the doctor having to spend time in a mundane human life which is not so mundane because there are these little boxes, but but nevertheless, I think that was really the genesis. Like some, and they sat down and decided to write a little, you know, plot summary and or a story summary, and that was it. And then the plot just kind of gets tacked on to give a framework to hang it on. Which isn't to say that I prefer it that way, but I think it feels like that's what they did. Yeah. I don't know how successful it was. In Amy's narration, she talks about we would travel with him and this is the time the doctor came to stay. And so then that becomes the year of the slow invasion. And Mm -hmm. with lashings of, of, of foreshadowing of Amy and Rory quitting the doctor. Right. Right. Um, On the plus side, we've got, we've got Rory's dad, Brian. Yes. And he's better here than I think he's ever been. He's certainly better here than he was in dinosaurs on a spaceship. Sure. Um, he's likable. He's simple. He is helpful. He's just a great character in this. He's he's funny, oh. um, in a kind of low key way. He's even given. He's so good in this that he's even given a companion invitation by the doctor. Mm-hmm. The doctor says you could travel with us, but he turns it down. Right. I love this the 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 his subplot where he's supposed to observe the cubes that are doing nothing. And he takes it so seriously. Like for a year, he records his daily observations of the yeah. cube in a video log, which I just love that. Well, not, yeah. not just observes it. Like he observes it every day. He's sitting there watching it every day. And then he's recording it at night and watching the rerun of what the cube did, which is nothing overnight. <laughs> and then doing a log, you know, cube still has done nothing overnight, still has done nothing during the day, still watching. Right, right. Yeah. Bri- uh, yeah. Brian, the... Uh, Roy's dad is is a great addition here in these few episodes we see him in. The other thing we see is the return of Unit, which mm-hmm, is mm-hmm. nice. And uh, this is the first time we see Kate Stewart, but it's not the first time Kate Stewart has ever been in a 
Doctor Who-related story, right? No, it's not. She was originally... She originally appeared in the long dark between the classic Who and New Who period in a mm-hmm. production, in a sort of licensed production called Downtime, which I have a copy of and we should talk about at some point. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. But it was, it was one of these fan productions, but it had, if I recall correctly, this one did have licensing from the BBC to use characters from Doctor Who, but not the Doctor himself. And mm-hmm. so that led it to focus on unit and different companions and so forth. And that's where the character Kate Stewart was introduced. Yeah, along with the Brigadier Lethbridge Stewart. So Nicholas Courtney was in it. Mm-hmm. Sarah Jean mm-hmm. Smith, Victoria Waterfield. Yeah. As well as the mm-hmm. Great Intelligence and Robot Yeti, apparently, <laughs> were also in that. So, yeah, that's kind of cool. And it's really kind of cool that they brought her into the canon, which is a a thing we've seen, like, say, Star Wars do with, you know, Disney Star Wars bringing stuff into canon from secondary materials like books and that sort of thing. Uh, it feels like Doctor Who has kind of led the way in doing that. Well, I think it's sort of the other way around. I, I, I think Doctor Who's canon includes all of the licensed stuff. And mm-hmm. anything, if it's got the original actors involved, I treat it yeah. as canon. Right. Yeah. And... At least if it's, especially if it's got the original actors and it's licensed by the BBC, I treat it as, you know, okay, this is something they're doing. It's just not on TV. Right. And, right. and of course, that was one thing Stephen Moffat did. Of course, this, this episode comes during Stephen Moffat's run. Is he reinforced that with things like bringing in Kate Stewart by Night of the Doctor, where he mentions all those companions of the Eighth Doctor, you know, yeah. that he's reinforcing that, yes, this stuff is actual adventures of the doctor this is canon um something which really yeah. hadn't happened during the russell t davies era that's for sure yeah and probably he did that partly because he helped create a lot of that stuff true back in those days yeah so mm-hmm. it is it is I, I think it's neat that there is this you this doctor who universe <laughs> doctor who cinematic universe <laughs> sort of thing that precedes a lot of that other, uh, you know, the r- similar things but uh, it is cool All, although it has frayed edges there are cases where it's a little harder like there was a video that was made by the bbc but it was like for a charity one of their charity comedy things i forget if it was red Mm -hmm. nose day or what it was but there was one it starred rowan atkinson and it was called doctor who and and the curse of the fatal death or something like that (laughs) it's awesome and and it's it's very funny It, it involves rowan atkinson as the doctor and then you've got i forget who is the master but and clearly played for comedy. This is this is not meant to be part of the regular stories. Right. But a good chunk of it involves the master having to crawl through sewers on the planet Tursurus. and years and years. And that's it, there's this joke that the master keeps getting basically flushed into the sewers and has to crawl out of them again. Mm-hmm. And and in, I think it's. Missy Volume 1 by the by Big Finish, although it could be Missy Volume 2. Missy is, uh, at one point, has to go through a sewer and says, oh, no, there was quite enough of that on Tercerus. <laughs> <laughs> I love when they wink at the audience. Yeah. And it was uh, Gary Oldman who played him. Gary yeah. Oldman, right, right, yeah. right, right, right. And it's, oh, yeah, yeah. It's, it's funny, and, and it's, of course, you know, it, it can little, be... A little iffy towards the end. But yeah. it's got some pretty funny scenes. Yeah, you get a chance to see that. It's online in various, the usual places. 
So let's talk about this story. Uh, the The premise is Amy and Rory have two lives, and they 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 come right out and say that we have real life and we have doctor life, and mm-hmm. they're they 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 kind of talk about how they're starting to settle into real life. And they, they come right out and say they've been traveling with a doctor for 10 years of their own personal timeline, uh, right. whether or not. Subjective you know, time. Their objective, yep. s- objective or subjective? Sub- subjective time. Sub- subjective time. Right, right, right. Uh, and so they're, you know, older than everybody expects them to be in, in you know, reality. And they're starting to feel like they're, it's time to settle down. You know, the, that mm-hmm. they want to settle into real life instead of constantly running off with the doctor. And that dismays him a bit because, as I think he tells Amy at some point, you were, you were the first companion that this face saw. And so, therefore, you like occupy a, a special place. He, he imprinted on her like a baby bird. Yep. <laughs> right, right. So, for a while, so he, as he recognizes this change, he, as you mentioned, he decides to stay with them. And that, and of course, it's not just normal things. And then these these cubes show up. I like the idea that billions of cubes show up. Everybody goes kind of crazy for a while, but when they do nothing, it just fades in the background. And that is very much human nature. I think. Mm-hmm. I think if if a billions of little cubes showed up unexpectedly, people would freak out for a while. But after a while, when they did nothing, people would just they would just become part of the background. That is a hum, very human thing to do. I would not be an early do- adopter on taking these things into <laughs> no. my home. No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, it is it is quite very amusing. Like, because, yeah, what what are they? Are they monitoring me? Like, I don't want these things around. I did, but well, and, put and them outside. One thing they didn't do, you know, of course, they talk about people brought them in their home and they're they using them for paperweights and stuff like that. And I could see people of, like, all of a sudden, somebody notices even just the slightest change of color of some of them. And then suddenly they'd have to collect, you know, every different color and every yeah. different, you know, <laughs> well, this one's just a millimeter bigger. So now we got to get the millimeter bigger ones and, you know, whether or not there really are is another story. Right. Someone would be selling like fake different ones. <laughs> they would yep. be, somebody yeah, would be trying to Actually, make a buck. That's something they didn't really go into here, but there would be an immense online community about these things. And yep. a lot of it would be people discussing theories about what they are Mm -hmm. there would be a lot of paranoia which would be entirely justified there would also be false reports of people thinking their cube has done something when really it hasn't Mm -hmm. and there would be hoaxers who would claim and even produce fake youtube videos trying to make it look like their cube is doing something and wasting everybody's time including the government's time investigating Right. right And they, they did kind of bring in the pop culture where they had the uh, the uh, Apprentice UK edition where the guy got fired for not being able to sell. Yes. Any of them, you know, basically. Uh, also, you know, so they, they did yeah. kind of touch on kind of the pop culture side of it where you could see, you know, musician, uh, uh, magicians would be using it for their acts and things like that, you know. so the Famous physicist. I forget what his Brian name Cox. was. Brian Cox. Brian Cox, right. He was yep. on there. Uh, also, speaking of pop culture, the doctor disdains Twitter way back in 2012, which as a, as a time traveler, he well, he knew how Twitter would become. <laughs> <laughs> so he did like that. You know, even though the episodes it has that oh, that Amy narration saying this is the year the doctor came to stay, he didn't actually come to stay. He was there for four days and then was gone for nine months. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It, it, well, he uh, they kind of imply he sort of stays later a little bit more but but amy like 
Amy's opening narration was a total lie. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so we and when he stays for four days, he gets bored out of his mind, right. and then they give us a montage of the doctor being hyperactive, and he's right. doing things like he's painting the back fence, he's mowing the lawn, he's doing a bunch of different, you know, activities just to keep his mind busy. And the joke at the end of it is, it's been like an hour. Yeah. It's mm-hmm. taken him an hour to do all that, but. It, it. I just found the the hyperactive montage to be very not funny. No, mm-hmm. yeah, I you agree. Know, it's it's, it's meant it's meant to be comedy, but it's just like hey, guys, you're just filling time here, and the doctor's being petulant, and this isn't actually funny, not to me. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah, I agree. I agree. I thought the same thing. Although Matt Smith showing off his uh, his uh, footy skills with the, the soccer yeah. ball. Oh, hacky sack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Or uh, well, it, with the soccer ball. Yeah. 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 So, you know, one thing I wouldn't kind of say, you know, since we talked about the intersection of faith and culture, you know, this shows one issue with our culture of not being able to silence ourselves. And a big, big part of our faith is being able to enter into silence. Yeah. And, you know, believe me, when you, you know, when you're, you're trying to, you know, sit down and pray and also your mind's wandering about this, that, and the other thing, <laughs> you know, you can see that, that we don't live in a culture of silence at all. And so we're all like the doctor in that case where we just yeah. don't sit down and be quiet. Many of us, anyways. Be like Brian. (laughs) Yeah. Be be able to sit quietly, contemplatively. So we do have this nine-month period where we kind of – another montage of scenes over the course of nine months, uh, including a a moment in December where the the, the hospital ER where some box-faced men, like men who have boxes implanted on their face, which we never get an explanation for, (laughs) and a little girl attack a patient – and we later we later learned the little girl is a is a is a droid. Yes. She's not a real little girl. Right. We have this theme of the pull of, back to this theme of uh, Amy and Rory's mundane life versus the madcap adventures with the doctor. And Amy commits to being a bridesmaid, and Roy to be Rory to being a full time nurse, which apparently conflicts with traveling the TARDIS. Except, can't the it time doesn't. machine bring them back to the moment that they left, which they yeah. do yep. in this episode? It just it's very internally contradictory. Yep. Thank you, Chris Chibnall. Yes. Yeah. Uh, the the doctor does take them for an anniversary jaunt to the 19th century that ends badly, I guess, for some mm-hmm. reason. And oh, to- they, they, it goes by in a sentence. He takes them to the Savoy Hotel right after it's opened. Mm. And I don't know that that would be my idea of a great getaway because no Wi-Fi. I mean, it, the Savoy is going to have even fewer places to plug in your electronic devices than most <laughs> older hotels. Yes. <laughs> But uh, when they get back, the doctor was like, well, who knew there was going to be a Zygon ship under the Savoy? <laughs> yeah. Right. Uh, they also go to Henry VIII's bedroom to pick up Rory's phone charger that they left there that was referenced in A Town Called Mercy. Not sure where he thought he'd plug in his electronics in Henry VIII's bedroom. Yeah. <laughs> and Amy accidentally gets married to King Henry VIII off screen. Yes. Mm-hmm. yes. We, and once we've dispensed with the, the time-filling they they end up at the unit base beneath the Tower of London. Have we we've never seen the unit base there before? We'll no. see it again it, though, right? Yeah, okay. yeah, that's where they have the black vault. Uh, the the doctor is a I forget who does it. Is it Kate or Amy who accuses him of always running away from things? Amy, and Amy. he's like, "No, I'm running two things before they flare and fade forever." And Yep. That's what I'm doing with you and Rory. I'm running to you before you flare and fade forever. Okay. He has FOMO. He has fear of missing out on a universal <laughs> scale. Yeah. So 
Okay, let's talk about the the heart attack cubes mm-hmm. and the the silliness of this idea. Yeah. Well, about the cubes, I think that the concept is interesting. You know. Yeah. And having them do nothing for a long period, it's like, yeah, okay, if you wanted to slowly invade, you could get your munitions in plain sight in an unrecognizable form and leave them there for a long period just to get people used to them Mm -hmm. and uh, make them appear non-threatening. So, okay, there's some logic there. And then if you need to find out about this race, you could use them to test and having the different cubes each perform a different thing is kind of an... It's not realistic, but it's it's kind of clever. I like the one... I mean, they're having all these different effects. Some mm-hmm. of them just spin. Some of them shoot a little laser beam in their environment. Some of them make you sad. And then there's one that unit has in a in an isolation chamber and, and the doctor... And it's not, it doesn't seem to be doing anything. Nobody's in there with it. And when the doctor opens the door, it's playing the chicken dance, yeah. also, <laughs> also known as the birdie song. Yes. And, on um, repeat. Yeah, on repeat. <laughs> uh, I actually will call that at uh, dances for smaller children. Nice. <laughs> but I thought that was funny. And, and so the, conceptually, the idea of they do nothing for a long period to get people used to them, then they suddenly test, do a bunch of tests to find out our vulnerabilities. And then they start to act on those vulnerabilities. Okay, that makes sense. None of this is realistic, though. All you need to do is abduct one human, find out how its heart works, and then spread your heart attack machines all over the world. Mm-hmm. The The part that really gets me is the the doctor's solution, which is to save the third of humanity who's been killed. Killed! Their hearts have been stopped, okay? They've been laying on the ground for some period of time next to these things. So he has the cube somehow remotely defibrillate the hearts and people just get up and start walking around again. That's yeah. not how it works. <laughs> I'm sorry. It well, just is so unbelievable. Well, and then you have where the cube stops one of the doctor's hearts. Not yes. both, just one of them. For some and reason. And of course, you know, and, and of course he's acting like, you know, he's, he's in, just can't do anything without having his second heart until Amy defibrillates him. Right. Yeah, it yeah, it's for for reasons that it stops one heart. Uh also I I note that there is yet another dimensional portal in an elevator. This is mm-hmm. like I think the third or f- fourth. I think it's the third one we've seen this season, a dim- or the, in the last two seasons, uh, a dimensional portal that go- that involves an elevator. Like I don't know what it is with with Moffat and these guys in in the elevators, but they do not like them. Oh, and one thing you should mention too, uh, Jimmy you brought up about about uh, taking people, they've been doing that. They've been abducting people this whole year for right. mm-hmm. reasons they mention absolutely nothing about. And even Brian is one of them. They never do anything. Brian's like one that they, they yeah. abduct, but they don't actually put them on their little bio beds or whatever they are scattered around the central chamber there. And no, no mention of why they did it. Yeah. Not at all. Yeah, it's that's weird. In terms of elevators, they are kind of little magic transport boxes, kind of like the TARDIS itself. So yeah, I you know. guess that's true. They, they, I mean, as a kid, you get in it and it takes you a place and the door opens. You know, it's like it's not the same place anymore. So I get that. There's a there's a bit of childlike wonder about elevators that, that if you if you enter into it a little bit, they do encounter Emperor Palpatine on the spaceship again, <laughs> who who's going to uh, use his Death Star to destroy the planet below. Um, I just thought that the design of that 
of the 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 uh, mythical Shakri was really like Palpatine-ish in this yeah, one. That was really interesting. So. There's an there's an interesting line in there where the doctor is explaining that he thought the Shakri were just folklore used to scare Gallifrey and children. And then he talks about them as the pest controllers of the universe and Amy objects as as to that as a fairy tale and the doctor is like, Oh, wolf in grandmother's nightdress, come on. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. Have you have you listened to many regular like uh, fairy tales from European culture? They're pretty horrific when you yeah. think about them. <laughs> uh, witches uh, eating children made into pies and that sort of thing. Uh, yes, the humanity is a pest, which is interesting. That I mean, in, in fact, the humanity we've established is going to spread out throughout all of pretty much the universe yeah. in, in the Doctor This universe. is essentially the Shakri version of Genesis of the Daleks. They're here to stop us before we start. Right. Now, they rescue Brian on board the Shakri ship, but they don't bother saving everybody else. No, they do. They do? They have, they have, I believe, that's how I understood it. They've got like seven people on these bio beds or something, and the Doctor... Well, he goes off to deal with the head Shakri hologram, who's not really there. It's just yeah. presented, he describes it as a talking propaganda poster. But while he's off dealing with that, he's got Amy and Rory shuttling these people back to Earth through the elevator door. Mm. Oh, I missed that. Okay, thank See, you. See, I, I missed it too. I thought it looked like as uh, they're leaving right before the ship blows up that they were still on the beds, but I, I must have missed it. Yeah, well, maybe I missed it, but that's okay. how I took it. Yeah, all right, wasn't clear to me, but okay. That, I mean, that, either that's way, fine. again, that the people were just there as background dressing. There was no, no conversation right. about them whatsoever. That is a loose thread that, yeah, that didn't, it didn't mean anything I, 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 to the story. Yeah, it, so there's no diegetic explanation for this, but from the storytelling perspective, the purpose is to get us up to the spaceship right. that's right. in control of the cube. So of they course. need something to link some point on earth which is the hospital with its elevator right to the spaceship it just happens to be rory's hospital <laughs> yeah <laughs> so you know everything's uh, the day is saved everything is fixed i wonder do they collect all the cubes i wonder um they but don't anyway really discuss that afterwards yeah. i did like one line in in one of the fake bbc broadcasts that they have during this uh mm -hmm. you have someone speculating could these cubes be a, the biggest stealth marketing campaign of all time? And, <laughs> and, 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 and will who's, whoever's behind it come out and reveal what it's for? And yeah. I thought that was clever. Yep. I thought less clever was the way they try to portray Kate Stewart as a heroic figure. Mm. Because the, the, the doctor, when he's going up to the ship, is like, you take care of Earth and hold things together down here. And there is nothing she can do. Mm -hmm. you know, right. There's just she is irrelevant to the plot at this point, and but we see her in this montage cutting back and forth between Earth, and she's talking to someone, maybe the Prime Minister. I don't remember on the phone, but she's saying dramatically, you know, it, it's not just hospitals and technology. Our best hope now is each other, and it's like, okay, this is nothing. This is yeah. contributing nothing to the plot. Right. It does not make. It may make you a good human being, but it does not make you a heroic figure. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, although I do like that she gives the doctor a kiss on the cheek and he says, my, a kiss from a Lethbridge Stewart. That's new. Yep. <laughs> which, is, which is cute. So it, the the episode ends with the the family that, you know, Brian, Amy, Rory and the doctor gather around dinner table. And 
Having uh, Chinese. Having mm-hmm. Chinese, yes. And they're kind of talking about life at this point. And Brian pretty much, you know, like as you said, Brian said, tells him, you know, they can't give you up. They have to go with you, Doctor. And I don't think they should give you up, which is a change for Brian. Because last, mm-hmm. last time we saw him, he was opposed to them. Uh, and earlier even, he was opposed to them going off with the Doctor because it was too dangerous. But now he's like, go go with him. Go save every world you can find. He gets invited by the Doctor. Brian says somebody's going to water the plants, which is a very nice, you know, I'm a homebody. That's not that's not for me. Yep. And but he but he ends with saying, just bring them back safe, which is like a little poke in the, poke in the eye yeah. to all the fans who are about to realize in the next episode, that's not going to happen. Yep. And and this is this is perhaps an appropriate point to address this. So a lot of times in Doctor Who history, fans just disappear. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they'll they'll be there one companions. Yeah. I'm sorry, yeah. companions will be there one episode, and it'll be business as usual, and then wham, they're gone. Like we saw recently with Perry. Mm-hmm. You right. know, there's there's no arc building into the departure of Perry. It's just we come into this episode. If you didn't know this was Perry's last episode, you know, or last serial, you wouldn't. You would have no. you would learn that as you watched it. You would not know it in advance from foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. And th- and there's logic to that. You know, mm-hmm. there can be situations where yeah, you want Scatman Crothers to come walking in, and suddenly he takes an axe in the chest that you weren't expecting. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it also when you know you have these figures that the audience that are audience identification figures, mm-hmm. you you also there's you don't want that to be all the time normally you want to see it coming when you're right. going to have somebody you a character you care about leave you want their departure to be meaningful and so forth and so because we've had amy and rory the entire time of the 11th doctor thus far they had become beloved characters and mm-hmm. so they're really leaning into heavily stephen moffat is heavily leaning into building up their departure yeah, right. and and I think that makes sense in their case. It does, I think, drag down the episodes where they're doing that a little bit mm-hmm. because it's kind of it. It is really an extended goodbye. Right. I mean, we 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 have the it, certainly an intimate a strong intimation of it when the doctor buys them the house mm-hmm. and and dumps them off, and then he's it, it, we're told his contact with them is only intermittent after that. And so there's been a, a re- this is a really long goodbye. I don't know that I would have played it exactly this way. I probably would have been lighter on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do think foreshadowing it substantially so the audience can get used to the idea is a good thing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I, I appreciate the fact that Stephen Moffat likes to play with concepts that have not yet been done on Doctor Who. Mm-hmm. And this kind of built-up, extended farewell had not yet been done. Right. Um, it also, I think, was helpful in this episode to have Brian ask, what happened to the other people mm-hmm. who travel with you? Right. And and the doctor says, well, some of them, many of them leave me, some get left behind, and he's thinking of Susan there. Mm-hmm. And very rarely they die, and he's thinking of Adric and yep. Katri- Katerina and so forth. And Sarah Kingdom. But it was nice to have that. But then he says that's not going to happen with Amy and Rory. Mm-hmm. They're not going right. to die. Right. Well, and it, it's, 
they, they, they use that line or variations on that line, though, about what happens to your companions. And mul- multiple times, not during this season, but previous season as well. Uh, you know, it's clear Moffat didn't want to do what happened with so many companions where they just wrote a little five-minute goodbye thing at the end of the episode. Like, say, Mel deciding for whatever reason to go with <laughs> Sabalom Glips. Because <laughs> reasons. You know, but they would just write some, oh, well, they're done. They're gone. Um, so you could tell he, did, he wanted to do that. I, I agree with you, though, Jimmy. I mean, it, it did get drawn out maybe a little too long mm-hmm. um i don't know i don't know how you would do that because there have been companions that it's clear throughout the entire serial that it is leading towards them leaving and there wasn't a lot of preparation previous serials or previous stories so i mean you yeah. can do it both ways but this is just kind of how he decided to do it here I, I i would wonder though and it how observant were people at that point when this first came out did they recognize that this is a long goodbye? Oh, I I remember, at least if you followed the press about the show, yeah, because it was was announced that, you know, (laughs) Amy and Rory are leaving and we're going to have this new companion, Clara, who's unveiled on the cover of Doctor Who magazine and things like that. Yeah. But for those who weren't, maybe weren't tied in, like I I never read Doctor Who magazine. I know, you know, really before the internet became your spoiler center, you know, the idea of having spoilers of what was going on really was, you know, not in my wheelhouse. And I'm, I'm sure <laughs> I'm definitely not alone in that in, you know, fandom. So I, I wonder just watching the shows and kind of watching how yeah. it's progressing. I I want to kind of amend what I said. Like when I said it's a poke in the eye, I didn't mean it as a, in, a, in a negative, but as in a, you know, you're going to start crying <laughs> when you see yeah. the, the, the tragic irony of that statement. But I, I will mention too that, Modern TV is different from the, you know, we've talked about how the differences between TV in the 80s versus in the 70s and Mm -hmm. before and today and and the existence of the Internet, how that affects how they make these shows and how they do things. And so they have to I feel like there was no there's no way that they could go and do what they did. Well, I'm not going to say there's no way, but but unless you have some dramatic ending for, you know, for, for a dramatic purpose, you're hiding the change in characters and you and you do a great job of preventing the word from leaking out that you're changing you, you know you really you may as well prepare for it and build it into the into mm-hmm. the stories and and make that part of you know that that knowledge that some fans will have just build it into the story and let them participate in finding the clues as you go along um i i think that i think that adds to how they make TV these days. Um, and it's probably gotten more so, I think, in the 10 years since this came out. So, um, yeah. So so that's an episode that happened. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> it's about, I mean, like you said, Jimmy, there wasn't, uh, there wasn't a lot of plot. There was not a lot to talk about there. There's, there's some of the overarching elements, but there's just that, you know, there. There are some funny moments and there's, there's some nice moments, but, I didn't hate this episode. I was yeah. just occasionally mm-hmm. bored by it. <laughs> it was kind of meh. And I think it suffers a bit because what's coming in the next episode is a big is a you know big thing in the sense right. of what it does to the show. And you've got this sort of placekeeper. <laughs> it's serving a purpose of, of holding a place until the next episode, really. And, and, and as I said in the beginning, I, I think that was kind of the purpose of this episode is to be a boring episode. Yeah. You know, it's not meant to be an exciting action filled episode. It's because yeah. that's not the story they're trying to tell with this episode. Now, whether that means it's a good episode or not, that's a whole nother yeah. story, but it's did exactly what it was supposed to do. Yeah. Now, whether or not that's a good idea again is, is another. 
it focuses on the relationship between the doctor and Amy and Rory because that's going to be the big reveal about that change next episode. So, all right. I think that should do it for that discussion then. Uh, let's take a moment to thank our patrons who make it possible for us to create the secrets of Doctor Who, including Andrew H., Stacey L., Christy D., Father Colin W., and Colleen T. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Doctor Who and all the shows at StarQuest. You can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. And we'd also like to thank Victor Lambs, who edits the show for us every week. So what do you think of The Power of Three? You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com or the Secrets of Doctor Who Facebook page or send an email to Who at sqpn.com. We'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the Eighth Doctor Big Finish production, Minuet in Hell. Until then, Father Corey Stiga, thank you for joining me and sharing The Secrets of Doctor Who. Thank you, Dom. And Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Thanks, Dom. And once again, I'm Don Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to The Secrets of Doctor Who on StarQuest. And remember, I've got officers trained in beheadings. Also, Ravens of Death. Right. This is going to be fun.